Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thank you for listening to the Late Breaking F1 podcast. Make sure to check out new episodes every Wednesday and every Sunday. Hello and a very warm welcome to the Late Breaking F1 podcast presented by Harry Eid, Sam Sage and me, Ben Hocking. It's been a real quiet week, Sam. I've heard many people refer to it as a real smack in the face by a map in Oxford. <laughs> yeah, folks, if you haven't heard this story, because this is definitely the first time we've tried to record this, I was walking around Oxford the other day, and much like the news with Lewis Hamilton that came out earlier, you know, strolling down the road, bit of a blustery day, and a poor gentleman is touring the city in, uh, in front of me. The wing swoops up his map. Bam, it's caught on his face and he can't get it off. It's a real comical moment and I laughed right at him. I'm sure he was really happy with that. But equally, that's how I felt when Lewis Hamilton announced that he was leading Mercedes for Ferrari. And you can go and check out our emergency episode. It's the one before this on the recording. Harry, you weren't there. Are you doing all right, mate? Yeah, uh, sorry for missing Thursday, everyone. Lewis Hamilton stopped releasing news on Thursdays, as a rule. Good stuff. Um, But also... It was big news. So thank you, Lewis. Um, yeah, it's um, <laughs> thank you for joining us today, Mr. Harry Eid. Um, we are today, unfortunately, not at the uh, at the mercy of our usual soundboard. So we'll see how well this goes over the next hour or so. I'm sure it will go really smooth, given, you know, this is the second time we've tried to do this already. Um, <laughs> coming up on today's episode, better news, though, brand new game. Brand new game that I will let you know about a little bit later on in the episode. Uh, Suzuka is staying on the F1 calendar for a further five years until 2029. So our thoughts on that. Should Lewis Hamilton try and take Pete Bonington with him to Ferrari? But let's start with this. A lot of different contenders for this very question. Who should Lewis Hamilton be replaced by at Mercedes in 2025? Sam, start us off. Right. Who's kicking off the Mercedes seat? There's a lot of options. There's a lot of different variations of what you can look for, I think, throughout the grid. And Toto Wolff has come out and said already in a comment that it gives him the opportunity to do something 
bold, which you know, I love that from um, from Toto and Mercedes. I love that they're looking at options that aren't super safe, super easy, that just, you know, walk the line for them. And George Russell could be the main man. I do think that George is going to have a bit more of a difficult time being number one than he expects. First option that comes to mind, and I tweeted about this, and there's been rumours flying around already, is the menace himself. Fernando Alonso, of course. And why does his name get thrown into that? Well, firstly, Fernando Alonso will run and jump across any bridge that he's previously burnt down to ensure that he can get the best drive known to man. Um, and I imagine that a George Russell-Fernando Alonso partnership at Mercedes under Toto Wolff, who I think is such a strong manager, could maybe wrangle hold Fernando Alonso could be a really potent pairing for a couple of years. The other reason it works so well is because it's only going to be for a couple of years, I think, until the um, maybe the start of 2026, potentially 2027. Alonso is getting on a little bit. He's not going to want to be here for, I don't think anyway, seven, eight years, like someone else who's younger might expect. Um, so Alonso have a couple of glory years at Mercedes. And you never know, if the car does work and Lewis Hamilton has judged this horribly, he could be underway for an absolute winner. Uh, on the flip side, totally on the flip side, if you're going to look at the much younger scale of things, the other name that's being bounded around by F1 Twitter, journalists and the like, and, and us included, is potentially Alex Albon. Um, Alex Albon, who has been so passionate and expressive about finding a home at Williams. James Vowles has very openly said that they want to build a team around him. It's a long-term journey. They're building to success over time. Um, Albon, though, has flourished massively in an environment that suits him. When he is able to be comfortable, to be him, to be looked after, to be nurtured, then Alex Albon thrives and it shows just how much talent he's got. He's also got the time behind him to continue to develop. And if he's placing a car that suits his driving style, the management arguably should be very similar to Williams because, of course, James Vowles is ex-Mercedes and very much of the Toto Wolf camp. Then the transition between those two teams, I don't think, would actually be too extreme. I think Albon could very easily nestle into a Mercedes team. Of course, not going to be that easy to pry away. As much as Williams and Mercedes sit almost on other ends of the grid in terms of points and where they tend to finish... I think Williams is such an exciting project. And I think that if you've got faith in it and confidence in it, I don't think it'll be too long until Williams are up there fighting for semi-regular, maybe podiums or very strong points. You never know, the lucky wing of a season could happen. So it's possible. I think that Albon isn't as obvious a choice as some people would think. And the final one, which I think is absolutely audacious as an initial name being thrown in the mix, because... I personally, Ben, I think you might probably get onto this. I'm putting Ocon to one side and I'm going to put Schumacher to one side. I actually Why? think we've got more chart. Well, we'll get onto that later, mate. Keep them waiting. Um, I do no think that, um, <laughs> that uh, old, old Kimi Antonella, um, I think he might be the riskiest move, but genuinely in the actual mix here. I really think that just because he's in F2, they've got a year to sort him out. I think under the watchful eye of Toto, the Mercedes team, and obviously you can rely on George Russell, if the car isn't perfect and they've got time to bed him in, it could be a it could be a brilliant choice. It could absolutely fall on its face, but equally it could be a brilliant choice. So I think Fernando is probably the most likely option and I would absolutely pay money to see it. Um, Albon to me makes sense as a long-term, sensible option that could grow and develop. The youngster in F2 as part of the Mercedes driver program it's bold, Cotton, and we do not know how it's going to play out for them. So we'll have to just wait and see. So I guess you've kind of got three options there that are very different. In that you've got the established two-time world champ, very good driver, Fernando Alonso. Um, at the other end, you've got Kimi Antonelli, who is 
unknown at this point and, and would be a massive risk, I guess. Um, and then somewhere in the middle, you've got a, a somewhat of a long-term option in Alex Album, but you, you've kind of got three very different experience levels there, um, which is interesting to see. Harry, from your side, who do you think they should be looking at? Um, Lorraine Cartagena, do you reckon? Come back, Good shout. The, come back of the century. Do you remember the, um, not the last time Mercedes had this up for grabs, but maybe the time before, I think maybe when Bottas was um, brought in, Kamui Kobayashi sent across his CV. Of course he did. <laughs> of course he did. I do remember that. Uh, yeah, look, this is, uh, I guess, uh, an opportunity that Mercedes didn't really expect to have here. So they've, they don't, and they don't have to rush in. Oh, well, they're not going to rush into it, are they? But there are a lot of options. All the ones you've mentioned, Sam, I think are viable. Even if it's not a long-term one, I think Sainz has got to be on their radar here. Um, but yeah, it's it's as you say, it's what they it's what Mercedes want to do. Alonso would be he's that's a great PR story. It'd be he's proven in the past year that he's still got it, and Mercedes could probably plonk him in that seat and he'd do a great job. Um, but if they want to invest in a future, which they they kind of have been doing for the past few years, obviously with Bottas and and then with Russell. They like to build up their drivers, if, you know, into a long term, a long term prospect. So and that's not going to be Fernando as much as we all think he will stick around until twenty forty six. He probably won't. Um, but it could Lies. be it could be a nice, <laughs> nice. It could be a nice buffer for them, uh, for a couple of years whilst they whilst they build up the likes of Kimi Antonelli. Uh, for example, because I just don't see them. George Russell had to do three years in a three years to a nineteen twenty three years, yeah, three years in a Williams, and he's George Russell. Like he's he's a he's one of the top guys, uh, and he had to do his time in a Williams, as did Bottas. I just don't see them plunking a rookie into that Mercedes seat. So having Fernando in there for a year or two may give them that time to uh, build up build up uh, Kimi's. Give me skills and confidence, etc. In a in a different team, Albon I think is a great shout. I know there's been rumours about him at Red Bull, but he's kind of got that link now with Williams. So yeah, why 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 wouldn't he be on their radar? But yeah, and as I say, I think Signs is also uh, another shout. I do wonder if Lando Norris is a little bit annoyed about signing like two days beforehand. Oh dear, <laughs> oh no. Uh, because he surely is on their radar. We, we asked that question on the emergency episode and both myself and Sam eventually came to the conclusion that he might well have signed for McLaren anyway, even knowing this news. Would you agree with that? Or do you think he might well have might well have gone for this? I, uh, to be honest, I, I probably agree with that. I just think it would... And maybe it was done... Well, maybe Zach Brown did it with that intention, got it over the line before it, it you know, he, he that came out. But um, it could well be that he he would have signed anyway. I just think if he didn't know, he probably maybe would have liked to have kept his options open for a year or so. One thing I promised on the emergency episode is that today I would run through my top 10 drivers who I think should be considered by Mercedes. 10. So here I go. Top 10. Uh, I'll, I'll breeze through them. But um, obviously the ones towards the back end of the list 
I don't think they should really be considered only the top couple I would actually go for. But uh, I'll run you through these options because, as you've said, there are so many options they could go for with with this seat. Um, so firstly, number 10, Mick Schumacher. Don't think he should be considered, really. Uh, I appreciate he's reserve driver at the team. I appreciate he's F2 champ. But, you know, it, it, I, I think he should have got an extra year at Haas. But getting a seat at Mercedes is a completely different prospect. Um, he hasn't shown much in F1 terms. Don't think they should consider him. Number nine on the list, Daniel Ricciardo. I know that Helmut Marko has come out and said, yeah, that's not happening. But yeah, I don't know. If, if they wanted it to happen, I think they can get it done. Um, if this was a few years ago, I think he might be number one on this list. But of course, even though he does have the experience, it would be a question mark as to would he be able to adapt to the team? Last time he tried that, didn't work. Number eight on my list, Andrea Kimi Antonelli, um, that you've already mentioned massive risk but he is their driver of the future um so you know if it worked out that would they'd make they'd be looking very very smart and as you said total wolf said i can maybe do something bold with this which kind of takes you down that path of course as you've mentioned though harry generally speaking mercedes drivers do not come in as rookies they they don't come in as inexperienced drivers george russell in his three years at williams that's the least experience the driver has been before racing for mercedes so it wouldn't be in keeping with the team and what they generally do. So I don't think they are or should go for it. Number seven on the list, Sergio Perez. I Short-term option, I don't think it's a bad idea. Um, if you are looking to keep the seat warm for someone like Andrea Kimi Antonelli, here's a guy who's had experience at Red Bull. Here's a guy who's had experience in top teams. He's been a solid driver for a decade or so. I don't think it's the worst direction they could possibly go in. Having said that, he struggled last year. His form is arguably worse than pretty much everyone else on this list. So that would be the risk with that choice. Number six, Valtteri Bottas. He'd be the easiest transition back into the team. He's been there before. He knows what they're all about. Um, There is a reason they got rid of him, which is definitely the main con here. But having said that, if they do, again, just want uh, someone to fill the seat for a year, I don't think, I don't know, Bottas might be the right guy for that. Number five, Alex Alban. I don't think they should do it. I, I don't think they should get Alex Alban. I'm too concerned by, number one, we're basing this off one solid season from him. And his season was very good last year, but I don't think there's enough evidence there for, to make me think that Mercedes should go for this. And we know what happened the last time he was in a top team. Yes, it might be different this time around, but it's still a massive risk. Um, so I would have him at five. And I, I think there are four drivers I would consider more than him for this role. Number four, Pierre Gasly. Similar sort of idea to Alex Albon. The only difference is I think Gasly's done it over a few seasons. His like consistency since 2020, as opposed to Alex Albon. Uh, number three, the war mode, Esteban Ocon. Only reason I put Ocon ahead of Gasly here is he does have those previous Mercedes links. So I think that would benefit him. Otherwise, it's pretty neck and neck. But actually, I think my top two are the ones that I would absolutely look to make this happen for. Fernando Alonso at number two, I think he's the best short-term option. If you think, it depends on your confidence in Antonelli, right? If you think he, he's going to, if it's going to work with him, get Alonso in the car for a year or two, allow the fireworks to happen and then go from there. Obviously the main con is it's Alonso. It might just blow up, but I'd love to see it. Uh, but my, my number one is Carlos Sainz. I, th- I think he is probably the right person for this job. He's been great the last five years. Um, you know, he has top team experience in Ferrari. The con, I guess, and, and the risk of this is would Carlos Sainz want this? So would he be 
worried that he would be filling a seat for a few years in the same way that he's apparently done at Ferrari. Whereas we know that there are rumors about him and Audi. Is that a better option? You know, if he goes to Audi, there's a good chance he will be the number one core man at that team. He probably won't get that at Mercedes. He might not get that long-term security based on other drivers. So that's the risk there. That's that's my top 10. Not in terms of what I think will happen, but what I think should happen. I think that's fair. I think you've um, gone quite bold with the Alpine duo, uh, which I was surprised to see just how high up the list they were. I guess it's because you make a list of 10, I suppose, that why they seem so much higher than probably they would be if you just had like a top five or something. But um, I just think Ocon and Gasly are a little bit past it. I think if you're going to go for that calibre of driver, if it's all in Mercedes power, that is, that's why you go for someone like Sainz. But I think you're right in the point you made that this is a 50-50 decision, of course. Driver and team have to agree. For Mercedes, Science is a great fit for two or three seasons. But for Science, does he want to be a stop-bit gap that allows them to basically build up their rookie driver to a steady state and then go, cheers, Carlos. What you did at Ferrari is what's happening again here at Mercedes and you're out of here. Thanks, buddy. I think he wants to be at a team that are going to look after him and care for him and actually build something up around him. So, um... If it was all in Mercedes' power, yeah, makes sense. But um, I think I, I just want to see those Fernando Alonso fireworks. I want to see it go kaboom. Oh, and I want God, to see the him and George Russell in the club, big fat cigars, celebrating everything at the end like nothing has ever been better in life because those two together are wonderful. I would say as well with, with the Alpine duo, it's a case of they're both 27 years old and so is Alex Albon. So I think if you're considering Albon, then the other two would be in consideration as well. And the only, like last year, I think Albon was the best of those three. But if we're looking at the last five years as an average or last three years as an average, I think Gasly and Ocon are marginally better. Um, So I I, I think I would go with one of those two just about over Ocon. uh, Sorry, just about over, um, over Albon. But Having said that, my top two are the standouts. It's Alonso and Sainz for me. I just love Spain. Harry, what are your thoughts on Andrea Kimi Antonelli for this? Because it would be an outrageous risk, um, but we do know he is coming into F2 this year with such high prospects. We saw with the likes of Leclerc only needing one season at Salva Alfa Romeo before going to Ferrari. That has worked out quite well. Should a move like that entice Mercedes to be really bold with this? Um, I This is definitely not the second time that I've said this, but I am not sure that it's just not the Mercedes way. As I said earlier, I don't think Toto is he's a bit risk averse when it comes to this. And even if Kimi has the best year ever seen in Formula 2 next year, or this year I should say, um, I still think they try and put him in a in a seat that's not a Mercedes to just build him up to being ready for, for Formula One. Um, I just can't see it happening. I mean, Ferrari putting Leclerc in was a, was an anomaly uh, in my view. They don't, they don't do that sort of thing. And I don't think Mercedes do that sort of thing, given what they've done with their drivers in the past. So if they're really, if they were desperate for drivers, as in there were no other options, maybe this could happen, but there are, lots of other options here as we've already gone through so I, I just don't see that happening for 2025 but I didn't see Lewis Hamilton signing for Ferrari so who knows anymore I've got a clue great point that's a very good point um 
Something that Harry touched on a little bit earlier on, Sam, was um, how quickly they might want to make this decision. Um, you know, whether they want to get it over and done with before the season or very early in the season, or whether they're just going to wait out towards the end of this year. Do you have an inkling on which way they're likely to go? So often on the show, we've talked about how drivers have so much power in their hands, especially the top performers. And yet recently, they're not really using it. You know, why would Leclerc sign on till 2029 or something at Ferrari when he, he's high performing and the team love him, for example? Or why would, you know, um, Lando Norris jump to extend his contract when hey, he's got another year on his deal and they're not going to get rid of him by choice? So, you know, why would he go through that point? But in this occasion, I really do think that the Mercedes team hold all the cards. I think they have all the power at their disposal. And because they have so many options, as we've already iterated on the show, it just tells you that even if one were to go, realistically, their second option or their third option is still going to be a very solid choice. They're still going to get strong results out of them. It's going to go well. So I think I would be shocked if they make a decision that gets re- revealed before the summer break at the absolute earliest. I think they've got time to see if form is a temporary or permanent thing with certain drivers. I think they can evaluate, you know, young Kimi Antonelli in F2 and see if, hey, if he's leading the championship at, in the summer break, they might go, right, short-term option, two years maximum for someone, then he's our option. But they might go, he's not finished better than 12th, he's crashed out in three of the Grand Prix and he's struggling to even get the car going. We go, right, we look at someone like a, a Gasly, an Ocon, an Albon that will sign on for maybe four or five years over a certain period of contracts. And that's where we go with our direction. So I think it would be sensible and smart from Mercedes who just bide their time on this one and to wait to see what the cars present to them. Because realistically, the power is with them. And as we see on social media every time that a Mercedes seat becomes available, everyone in their cat and their nyang calls up Toto Wolf and goes, I'll have a go. Let me do it. So it's not like they can't turn around to someone and go, fancy a seat, sunshine, in your pop. There will be someone decent available. Rushing, I think, would be the worst thing they could do. Do you think they they run the risk at all of, obviously, Red Bull have a seat available next year. Do they run the risk at all that Red Bull might get in there first and get their first pick essentially um and mercedes maybe it's album maybe it's someone else mercedes would then have to choose someone else i mean yes in, in theory it's a possibility um what i think is very different between mercedes and between red bull is so rarely do red bull step out of their family alignment in terms of progressing drivers that have got some attachment to the overall red bull family obviously it's not impossible we saw it with perez for example but that move for perez was the first move for a driver outside of the Red Bull family since, and if I'm casting my mind back, Daniel Ricciardo, where he moved from um, Hispania, was it Hispania Racing? I can't remember the yeah, Even he, like, yeah. Even he before was, that, like, Toro Rosso up to Red Bull. Right? And Seve Vett went, of course, from um, BMW into... Uh, Toro Rosso at the time, and then moved into Red Bull again. So the chances of them stepping outside of this family alignment. And they do put so much faith and time into their junior program. And I just think that it would be stupid of them not to continue with that, with how much attention they're being given, how much investment is being given, how much emphasis they're putting on making them big point scorers this year. It would be silly not to use that platform. And that's where I think Mercedes can have some quiet confidence that realistically, as long as their number one target isn't, Daniel Ricciardo, Liam Lawson, Yuki Tsunoda, and maybe Alex Albon being the toughest one there. 
they've got a pretty good spot of getting someone in the car that isn't going to end up in the Red Bull seat. So I think they could probably still bide their time and not rush to a uh, a conclusion um, before Red Bull try to snap something up. Okay, we're going to take our first break. We hope you enjoyed that 20-minute segment that took us two hours to film. (laughs) Right after this. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Okay, we're, we're sticking with the Lewis Hamilton news a little bit longer. Um, we covered off a, a number of points on the Thursday episode, but naturally there's so much that, that comes out of this that there's still some things to talk about that we didn't get around to. Um, and I guess one of the main questions that people have got is, what are the implications of the Hamilton deal in terms of people working at Mercedes, um, particularly relating to Pete Bonington? Of course, Pete Bonington has been a uh, race engineer for uh, Lewis Hamilton for a number of years at the team. They formed a great partnership, a winning partnership together. So Harry, do you think that they should be looking to, uh, do you think Hamilton should be looking to take Bonington with him essentially? Well, I mean, firstly, this morning I saw a picture of Bono with uh, Christian Horner and Jer- Jerry Halliwell at a horse race yesterday. Oh God. So. <laughs> <laughs> the great I know. Pete Bonington bidding war. Love it. <laughs> Bono. <laughs> Bidding Bono. Um, bidding Bono. The Bono auction. Um, <laughs> it's, I, yeah, I, there's already been talk about this and I'm sure I saw something about Toto Wolf saying they'll they'll, they'll discuss this. Um, I think it's blindsided Bono a bit because apparently when Toto told him, he was like, is it April 1st? So Bono clearly not in the <laughs> no, Not, no, no, uh, February, mate. Um, Bono clearly not in the no on that one. Uh, before Hamilton announced it to to the team, but I would be shocked if they if they did, he didn't try and get him to come with him because they are in the same way that Verstappen and GP are a team together. Bono and Hamilton have been a team, but they've been a team for eleven years now or whatever it is. Um, and I think 
it's I think it's often underestimated how important the race engineers are to to drivers and obviously some drivers move teams quite a bit but the ones that are successful and have stuck around at the same team have this relationship with their with their race engineer they don't want to they don't want to give that up so um i'm sure i'm sure those talks will happen um but yeah it's you know for for Pete Bonington it's a lot because he may may not have uh, imagined having to move to Italy next year but <laughs> it may it may be that he has to or, or he choose he doesn't have to obviously but you know for for his career and for Hamilton's prospects maybe he will I just can't imagine I can't imagine anyone else race engineering Lewis Hamilton it would be really odd imagine or see, even though Zavi, it has the happened one, it has happened obviously it has happened in the past yeah but if it, is it Xavi the one from, from Ferrari does Leclerc like we are checking Lewis nah not happening not happening <laughs> <laughs> I think it's something of a of a compliment to Pete Bonington in the He's he's obviously been in that race engineer spot with Hamilton for so long, and obviously don't know the ins and outs of Mercedes and their organisational structure and the like. But similar with like Red Bull and and Rocky, who used to be Sebastian Vettel's race engineer. Obviously, he moved out of that position eventually because of a promotion that he got. And I tend to think, could be wrong, that Pete Bonington could well have moved up the organisation into a different role if he had wanted to. But I almost think that the fact that he stayed in that role for so long proves how valuable both Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton find him in that spot, which maybe implies that that uh, Hamilton would want this to happen. What are your thoughts, Sam? I think that Lewis Hamilton looked at this contract and went, cool, historic, romantic, Ferrari, the red, Italy, end of my career. And then... He didn't just use his first sense of his eyes. He used his ears and he listened to the radio messages that Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc have received while they have been at Ferrari and went, Bono, get to Maranello immediately. You cannot, I cannot be there without you, Bono. I think he is More than Lewis Hamilton there. Yeah, correct. Yeah, very yeah. Bono. Hey, Bono, man. <laughs> the tires have gone. Not now. No, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> oh. um, as you can see, folks, I've donned my Ferrari hats in celebration of this historic move. Um, honestly, yeah, the partnership works brilliantly. They have a fantastic relationship. I don't think... Lewis Hamilton is an easy person to be close to, not because he's some horrible bloke. I think he's really <laughs> closed off. I think he's a very guarding individual. And I think he has a very small inner circle that he takes very seriously and has a very trusting group. And Bono has managed to be like a namestay in that group. He has been like a guiding hand for Lewis. He has been the voice that has been heard through the absolute highs of Lewis Hamilton's career and the most crushing lows of Lewis Hamilton's career. And they have stuck together. Now on the flip side, whilst Lewis Hamilton is going, please, I need it's, you know, it's like a nice warm cup of tea uh, after a cold day. Bongo is that lovely little warm blanket. You go, okay, Italy's a bit new. There's a lot going on. I don't speak Italian yet. You know, what do I need? I need my warm cup of tea at the end of the day. Bongo, talk some sense to me. Mercedes, on the flip side, I think are going, we've got a new driver coming in. We've got someone that might be, you know, not very experienced or might need to settle. Bongo's doing an immense job at helping someone as good as Lewis Hamilton get to where he is. Would you not want to give that gift to someone like Kimi Antonelli who goes, I don't know what I'm doing. 
I re- I need some help. You know, I need to learn. I need to grow. I need to develop. And you have someone like Bongo working with him from the start. In theory, that's a very reliable and limited and rare resource to have in Formula One. So I think both sides will be vying for his attention. I think contracts could be thrown around. And if the rumors are true that he's having a bidding war with Christian Horner as well, then Bono might just become the most in-demand man in Formula One. Um, Who knows? But yeah, Hamilton should 100% take Bono with him. It makes a lot of sense. Who knows? Maybe Bono can move up in the Ferrari world because they need some bloody order in those team tactics that they've got going on there. That's for sure. I've got images now of um, Lewis Hamilton drinking out of a Bono Bono mug sat there. <laughs> the little blanket on at the hey, end of the day. Bono merch is absolutely the next big move for this podcast. This is Bono's world. We're just allowed to live in it. Um, I, I The era of Bonarello. I love that of Ferrari. Let's make it happen. Um, <laughs> God. But I think you're right. I, I think, Sam, your point on Hamilton having that almost inner circle that he trusts is very true. I think Angela Cullen is a great example of that. Um, that, you know, when he when he really trusts someone, um, that's when his greatest partnerships form. And Bono's absolutely part of that club. Um, and we know that, look, Lewis Hamilton is great. He is not going to solve Ferrari's issues. Ferrari have issues, definitely. Um, driver lineup historically isn't one of them. Now they've bolstered their lineup. Absolutely. Getting Lewis Hamilton on side is a is a positive, but there are so many things that need to be addressed at that team that Hamilton is not responsible for. One of them, communication. As you say, Harry, we are checking Lewis. That ain't gonna fly. That ain't gonna <laughs> work. Um, they really need. I mean, we basically created an LB award off of their incompetence, which usually involves their communication. So Bono would be a, a definitely a help um, in that regard. Um, and I, I think Ferrari need to be almost self-aware enough to know that that is an issue they need to, they need to solve. Um, so many times we've seen that the lack of communication between race engineer and driver has, has cost them. And, you know, Carlos Sainz and Sebastian Vettel before him often decided to override decisions made by the team because they had a better feeling for it and it's worked out okay for them. Again, that can't possibly fly when Lewis Hamilton is there. So, you know, regardless of whether it is via their internal practices getting better and Bono isn't involved in that, fine. But I think actually getting Bono involved, um, someone who's been so successful for so many years at Mercedes, that would be a real a real help for that team. One other thing that is being discussed, we didn't get into too much depth on on Thursday as well, was this um, this clause, I guess, in the contract. Because when we first spoke about this, it uh, would have been autumn last year when the decision was made that uh, Russell and Hamilton would be staying on, uh, but until 2025. Sam, what do you think... What do you think is, is it just that that 2025 year was an option? And in that case, he hasn't really had the opportunity to see whether he wants to take that option. It's just, what do you make of the timing of all this? It's interesting. Yeah, the timing is the strangest part. Um, the fact that they had, you know, a contract signed, sealed and delivered a few months ago. And it all looked for, you know, Rosie at Mercedes. The fact that they had signed both Hamilton and George at exactly the same time as well. I wonder how different their contracts is, despite them being announced at exactly the same time. And usually 
Drivers get their own little moment, but the fact that Mercedes were able to announce both of their drivers, who are hot property across Formula One at the same time, almost gave off this aura of unification, very much that like they were all aligned on the direction they were going down. And I think Toto Wolff has come out and expressed exactly that. He said, you know, going into the Christmas break, I thought myself and Lewis were very much aligned of the direction where the car should be going and what the journey is going to be. Now, I don't think this clause is anything performance-based. I don't think this is kind of a, you know, we have to be sitting at, seeing X amount of performance or, or the car should be doing X, Y, and Z. I do not think it sits in those lines. I think this is a, Lewis Hamilton is in the twilight of his career. You know, let's, let's face it. And I think Mercedes put in a clause that said, both ourselves as Mercedes and you as Lewis Hamilton, the driver, are able to, if wanted, to make this a one-year deal rather than a two-year deal, should you feel comfortable to do so. And I think he probably had a limiting amount of time to exercise said clause. I imagine that come, I don't know, June, as we approach the summer break, it would have been a, no, you can't pull out of this contract now, we're too close to the new season. So I think the Ferrari opportunity came up. He was probably approached by... Freddy Vass at Ferrari and was told about the plans and it fell into the timeline nicely. And then Lewis Hamilton said, I can exercise the clause that says I don't have to stay for the extra year. And I think that's all it was. I think Total Wolf's even come out and said, as a quote, we knew there was a risk in the clauses that we put into Lewis Hamilton's contract that if he wanted to, he could walk away early. But equally, he's come out and said, us as Mercedes, we were unsure how many years we wanted to give to our current lineup. So this also allowed us to exercise this option, should we want to. I think it was simply leaving doors open for people to walk through, should it be appropriate for that to happen. Lewis Hamilton wants a new challenge, and it allows Toto Wolff to go and do something very, very new after a very long-term partnership. What do you think on that, Harry? Yeah, the it's been a su- the the clause is a surprise because it was obviously a condition for him wanting to sign, but maybe maybe this is a I feel like maybe Hamilton's kind of played. Mercedes a bit here because uh, there's been a few bits floating about that he wanted a longer contract with Mercedes plus like an ambassador role after he retires, which, you know, he's not, it might not be that far away. And that was something that was allegedly, this isn't confirmed, but allegedly turned down. So I do wonder whether, and obviously Ferrari have offered that more multi-year contract deal. And I think this ambassador role is also included in that. Um, I do wonder whether he Hamilton signs the because it's only August last year, right? He signs that that extension with Mercedes with this break clause in, but maybe he was just like that's just buying time because he did that's not actually what he wanted, and then the the Ferrari thing starts from there. So, um, yeah, it maybe it's Hamilton playing Mercedes, maybe it's Mercedes slightly underestimating how much he wanted to stay. Um, I don't think it's all based on like being an ambassador or having more years, but because I think you know, first and foremost, he just wants to win more championships. But I think there's definitely something in that he's he's thinking the long term for his career and also his career beyond F1. Um, and yeah, the 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 break clause being in there has has worked in his favor way more than it has uh, Mercedes. So um, I think it's pretty probably taken them aback a bit that he's activated this quite so soon. Like you say, Sam, I'm sure there was probably a limit on when he could. Um, but doing it now was probably earlier than he, they probably thought he would. So, yeah, it's inter- it's interesting, isn't it? I do feel like maybe Mercedes have sat back on this a tiny bit and, and let him go. 
It is an interesting one. The, the, the timings uh, initially sort of confused me, but it's kind of led me to believe that this is really a a decision that Hamilton has taken because it is something he wants to do and it is a sort of heart-led move more than anything. Again, I'm not saying that he hasn't, he's going there because he wants to and no other reason, but you know, it, the reason options are usually in place is because you can figure out, okay, is the team going in the right direction, which Hamilton hasn't given any time to work that out. I, I guess the theory would be Carlos Sainz is already locked in for 2024. That can't happen, but 2025 can happen. Because of that, Hamilton signs a one-year deal with a one-year option. And then a few races into the 2024 season, he can go, Mercedes looking pretty good here. I'm going to stick around. Or Mercedes not looking very good here. I'll go to Ferrari next year. But of course, if, if the whole point of the deal was based on his confidence in performance, I think that's what he would have done. But of course, he hasn't done that. He's made that decision before Mercedes even got out on the track, which just makes me think that this is something he wants to do fundamentally more than anything. Okay, we're going to take our second break here on the other side. We're we're actually not going to talk about Lewis Hamilton for once. We're going to talk, talk about Suzuka instead. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, there's lot, been a lot of calendar talk recently, um, and most of it directed towards street circuits. But uh, news this week, Suzuka uh, has received a contract extension. So Suzuka will be on the F1 calendar until at least 2029. Sam, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, firstly, it's relieving to hear that contract negotiations are going on with some of the more classic tracks that hold a lot of soul, for Formula One fans and the the legacy of Formula One. And, and that is, a, I think, an important thing to note, the essence of Formula One. What is Formula One as a, a sport? What's its direction? What is its image? And I think we are not a street racing brand. We're not, you know, the, the, the sport that turns up city to city and only races down your main high street, uh, round the back of boots, past the Waitrose, takes a right past the dominoes and then flies through the Costa Coffee car park. You know, that's not what we do here at Formula One. It might be a one-off novelty sometimes, but street racing is that not sounds the good. So when you hear this, right, well, we'll yeah, get on we to naming that. it later on, okay? We'll, we'll, we'll name yeah. it in the next episode. Stick around. Um, my point here on Costa Corner is that when Suzuka gets a renewal, 
it shows that, okay, Liberty are hopefully listening to the audience. And we, I'm hoping that this might be a bit of a domino effect. I'm hoping that we might see a transition from street race talk into classic track talk because tracks like Suzuka, which I think if we're being fair and, and honest and realistic, has not produced the best Grand Prix racing over the last decade. But I do think with the new era of cars and their ground force effect downforce and how they can follow, and the track is still sensational as a driver's track, it is improving. I think it's on the up. And Suzuka is such a fan favorite for everyone. All three of us really like it. So many of you listening really, really enjoy Suzuka. The Japanese fans and Japanese racers alike are sensational. It has such history, such heritage. Um, you look back at historic moments that have happened at Suzuka. It has earned its place in Formula One. So it's wonderful to know that we're going to be going there for a few years later. And I really do hope that this gets the ball rolling for many of the other tracks that are still proper racetracks that are on our calendar, because I don't want to see that 50, 50 split. A few street tracks are, are a fun novelty and can produce something a bit different, but we, we don't need every other racetrack to be that case. So big up Suzuka. Can I get staying? Well done Liberty. This was, this was good. And all the chaos that you've been going through, especially with the Andretti move that we spoke about, this is a good news story for them. Yeah, do you think they actually signed the contract extension in like November, but F1 have just kept it in the back pocket until this Andretti news? Like, but here's Suzuka. There you go. You like that, right? Uno reverse. Yeah. Well played, F1. Well played, Stefano. Um, what are your thoughts on this, Harry? Um, yeah, thank God, uh, because I can't hear about another street track potentially happening or not happening. Um it is it is encouraging, and I, again, like Sam says, I'm in uh, agreement that Suzuka doesn't necessarily produce the best racing anymore, and I don't think that's a Suzuka problem. I think it's more an F1 problem in terms of the cars are so bloody big for that track now. But I, it's still one of my faves, and I would be, you know, be devastated if they came off the calendar. Um, so yeah, I'm glad it's staying, and also more generally, it's it's encouraging that yeah, they're not just being these classic tracks or these great racing circuits have, are not just being shunned for more street tracks. I guess the worry is it does seem like we're just going to get more. <laughs> like there's, We're not replacing tracks. We're just getting more of everything, which is a problem in itself. But, I, you know, I'm happy that at least those conversations are ongoing and it's good for, it's encouraging for the likes of others like Spa, Silverstone, etc. Um, and the fact is a multi-year for Suzuka because uh, we've seen recently a lot of, more classic circuits like Spa, for example, have only had like one year extensions or two year extensions. This is a this is a commitment, so uh, that's good to see. Um, and hopefully, hopefully, it remains the 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 same for for the other you know classic tracks we have because they need to they need to stay. So, um, yeah, it's it's positive news. You're right, Ben. Maybe they did sign this in like October last year, but just thought, ah, we'll, we'll save that for when we've got some bad news for everyone. <laughs> Keep that one. Keep that one of the wraps. <laughs> Love it. Um, obviously, uh, one thing we haven't mentioned—not that it's necessarily relevant to the the contract talk per se—but Japanese Grand Prix, of course, is happening in April this year. So, first yeah. time that it won't be later in the season, thanks to F1's uh, 
adjusting and trying to get a bit more uh, location-based and grouping races together. Um, it looks like it will be earlier in the calendar for the for the coming years. Um, yeah, this is obviously great news. I, I'm delighted for this. And I agree with your point, Harry, that even though Suzuka hasn't necessarily delivered bangers in the last 10 years, I think the, the main reason for that is down to F1 rather than the track itself. You speak to so many drivers so many drivers say this is their favorite track so many do um which is good um they'll be happy that this is around and you know the fans are great i think in terms of japanese motorsport as a whole of course yuki sonoda's still in the sport how many years he'll be in the sport is a bit of a question mark but you know that you know this news plus maybe sonoda sticking around for a few more years is good news overall you have to remember the suzuka contract is essentially owned by honda um, yeah, you know, the, the contract is owned by Mobility Land, but Mobility Land is owned by Honda. So, um, and we know Honda's obviously sticking around in F1, or no, sorry, they're re entering F1 technically, um, <laughs> with uh, with Aston Martin in a couple of years' time. Um, so yeah, I think overall it's almost like a, a just a positive outlook for Japanese motorsport as a whole. We know there are some upcoming drivers in, in terms of like Yumo Owasa as well. Um, Ritomi Miyata is an interesting one as well. He's racing in F2 this year um, and he's won Super Formula before. He's, I think he's like 24 years old, so he's coming in quite late to F2, but equally has very good pedigree going into it. So I'm interested to see how he does this year. Um, yeah, I think overall it's, it's good news and uh, much needed good news at this time. Should we move on to... Oli Behrman, um, he's been announced as, as well as being Ferrari reserve driver this year, he's also going to be Haas reserve driver this year. And with that, he will be uh, participating in six free practice one sessions, um, starting at Imola and ending at Abu Dhabi. Um, so essentially a quarter of races this year, we can expect to see Behrman in FP1. He did two outings last year as well uh, and impressed in both of those. Sam, it's rare that we see a, a rookie driver like Behrman get six outings in a season. Does this show you that Ferrari really mean business with this guy? He must have impressed. He's caught the eye of someone up top because, like you said, Ben, six is a rarity. The fact he's already done two the previous year means that he's going to get eight FP1 sessions, which is a lot. You know, you break that down into a, a year total of races, and that's a third of the season in over kind of a year and a half that he's had driving that F1 car. So he should be really up to speed. And you imagine if he were to get a Formula One seat going into 2025, that he would then get the testing days, of course, at the start of the season, the full practice sessions of the first race of the season. He would be very well prepared for a kickstarting Formula One career from whatever team he might wind up in. I really do think that teams should take a leaf out of Ferrari slash Haas's book here um, on how to bring up a, a youngster, a rookie to possibly star in their team moving forward. When you have the faith in someone, when someone's impressed you, you give them the time, give them the, the nurturing environment that they need get them every single bit of experience that they can to get hands-on with the car. And I assure you that the more time they've had with the car, the better they're likely to be when they come into the sport. Uh, a big complaint that Lewis Hamilton always gets given for some bizarre reason was that when he entered in his rookie year, a lot of people say, well, he had thousands of hours behind the Formula One car before he actually entered his season. Oh, well, who cares? The guy put it to the, you said it worked out. It makes sense. Give everyone that much time. And I think Mercedes, should they not go for Kimi Antonello, who's been mentioned a lot on this podcast, 
they should be chucking him in every single FP1 session that they can get their hands on for the chap so he can actually be prepared should the time come around that he does enter Formula 1 if he does impress. So, yeah, I think this is a very good move. I do think it's nice to see a step away from using FP1 sessions or the um, the rookie testing session that comes at the end of the year as well. Sometimes it gets used a bit for marketing props. I know that McLaren do that a lot. They've got 853 drivers contracted to their team. And Zach Brown does like to give each of them one lap in a car to be kind of good exposure for the team. And I don't like that. So, um, yeah, I think this is right. I think Bam getting as much time in the car as possible is right. And I think other teams should look to do it also. What do you think, Harry? Do you think this is um, Ferrari and Haas really lining him up for a 25 seat? Yeah, cute Lewis Hamilton on his toes this year, you know. Ooh. Don't want him to get, <laughs> don't get too comfy. Mammon's um, behind yeah, you, mate. <laughs> yeah, watch out, Lewis. Um, I think it's it's encouraging for for Behrman that yeah, this is this is happening. Whether they're, I don't think they're lining him up for a Ferrari seat, but maybe he is a Haas seat in the future. And I guess. The Ferrari Haas relationship really confuses me. Are you are you friends or are not friends? I don't know. They're just sort of making up as they go along. But clearly, they've got some influence over um, over Behrman getting these six FP uh, FP one runs. So yeah, it's got to be encouraging. And I, I think it's probably a, a second point here, but uh, it's good to see him getting that many in one season because I think it's fairly unusual for that to happen. A lot of the time. You know, a rookie might get two, two sessions, and then you've we've seen it before. You know, the car breaks down in one of them, and they've had then they basically get an hour out of a year. Like, how are you supposed to judge anything on that? So, um, having six over the course of the year, I think, is going to give them a proper indicator of of what he can do, or or at least give him the time to experience it properly and and you know get a really a, a, a good feel for what it's like to drive an F one car. So. Yeah, very encouraging for for Ollie Behrman, for sure. Well, I think it was the case with Porsche last season. It might have been Mexico, I don't quite remember, but he um, essentially didn't do FP1 because of issues for it, with the car. It's like, well, he only did two sessions the whole year, so that's 50% of his time just knocked away immediately. Yeah. You're suddenly de-risking yourself if if one of these six doesn't go well for him. You've got five others to, to lean on. I know that, I and Haas and I think everyone was was very impressed by Behrman's appearances in FP1s last year. Uh, I particularly his Mexico one. I, I think his Mexico session he was right there with either Magnuson or Hulkenberg. Might have been Magnuson, um, but th- there was barely nothing to choose between them. And I appreciate his FP1, but even so, usually you see a sizable gap between rookies and the established drivers, and there, there wasn't really that gap uh, when they went around Mexico. So. That'll be one of the tracks he's back at again this year. But, you know, he's doing Imola, Spain, uh, Silverstone, Hungary. So he's got a good run as well of like European races where you're not having to, I don't know, jump in a car and then the next time you're in a in a car will be eight months later. There's good consistency with this. I would at this point be absolutely shocked if he's not in a house in 25. And I appreciate that they've been burned before by putting two rookies in a car together, but this is going to blow your mind, Haas. You don't have to do that. You can have one experienced driver and then one rookie driver. And then you got, you got, you got what we, what we like to call in the business balance. Yeah, but he's, 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 he's a new yeah. employee. He, he won't be allowed in. Oh no. Gene Haas doesn't like, he doesn't go in. doesn't go in. <laughs> Honest, Gene Haas is fuming at these six sessions. Who is this guy? I probably won't <laughs> like him. 
We're putting a bear in a race car. Who is this bear man? Ali <laughs> uh. bear man. Oh, so yeah, maybe this won't happen after all, but I, I, I think it's a, it's a good idea. And it's something that the team should probably utilize a lot more. Bearman is going to be racing an F2, which kind of proves that you can, any other F2 driver would be able to do the same sort of schedule and it would work. So I, I think it's something they should utilize a lot more, but like I said, I would be surprised at this point if, uh, if he wasn't in a, in a has seat in 25, it just seems, I, I don't know. I mean, you're not, Surely not giving someone six FP1 sessions to then not take him. I also think that this is a negotiating tactic, isn't it, from Gene? We know that Gene's a little bit on the t- tight on the purse strings and he doesn't like to spend where he doesn't need to. So if he could say to Ferrari, sure, we'll put your youngster in the car for practice sessions and potentially the, the seat for a couple of years, but you give me engines at a massive discount and we get to buy your parts at a massive discount, it means that we can run our, uh, our little... Shop of Horrors at a much cheaper rate for the next few seasons. Exactly, exactly. Um, Right, we're going to take our final break of this episode. On the other side, we've got a brand new game. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Okay, welcome back, everyone. Brand new game that I uh, I have to say on the original schedule that I sent over to everyone, I put uh, TBC on a name because I didn't have one at the time. But Harry's inspired me with his catchphrase of uh, show me the evidence. So this is our new <laughs> game and it's called show me the options. Oh, God. <laughs> Do a jingle, Sam, right now. No, go on, no. <laughs> This might be, you might be witnessing late-breaking history, folks, because this might be the one and only time you ever hear this game if it goes down like a lead balloon, but we will soon find out. It's like F1 Alphabeti. <laughs> that stuck around for a little while. <laughs> Until now it's they dead, hated it. but it stuck around for a little while. <laughs> right. Uh, I've got eight questions, uh, and Harry and Sam will take it in turns uh, giving it a go. Um, essentially, you have got an option here i will ask you the question if you answer it correctly you get two points if you don't answer it correctly you get no points however you can say those four magic words show me the options at which point i will give you three possible answers for that question if you then get it right at that point you get one point so essentially it's a game of risk do you want to try and answer the question without any options or do you want me to help you a little bit with three uh, possible ones? That makes a lot more sense because I thought you were going to start revealing option ties to us over the camera. And I thought this is not going to work well as a podcast format. Ah, yeah. That's a good idea for a game though. <laughs> Show me the ultra softs. <laughs> 
Right. Uh, Harry, you can start. Any number between one and eight, please. Number seven, please. Number seven. In what position did Jensen Button start when he won his first race at the Hungarian Grand Prix? Oh, oh this, already I'm loving this game because I, I feel like I might know the answer, but I'm not confident. Um, is it 14th? He's risked it. And he's got it right. Well done. Oh. 14th was right. It's a good start. 2-0. <laughs> Over to you, Sam. Um, I'm not used to these higher numbers in our quiz. I know, right? Um, eight, yeah. Eight. What's that all about? When Harry said seven, I was confused, lost, and alone. Um, <laughs> I'll go for number two, please, Bang. I'm going to keep it where I'm safe. <laughs> <laughs> Which corner did Ayrton Senna crash at when leading the 1988 Monaco Grand Prix? Um, do I have to give the exact one? Or can I just vaguely describe it? <laughs> Monaco. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Somewhere between um, turn one and turn 20. Was it Casino? It was not Casino, I'm afraid. Oh. The correct answer. Any ideas, Harry? Is it Portier? Was Portier? Yeah, well done. Well done. No stealing in this game, though, so unlucky. Back to you, Harry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, well, I'll go for number eight so Sam doesn't have a meltdown. <laughs> oh, thank God. Uh, you managed to pick the other question that's about the Monaco Grand Prix. The Monaco Grand Prix was created by which man? He has a corner named after him. Mr. Monaco. <laughs> yeah, Mr. DeVos. Sam stole no. your points, um, I'm afraid. Yeah, he's actually Mr. Monaco, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Mirabeau. Um, well, I can only think of one corner that's named after a, a person. Is it Anthony Knows? Knows. It is. Um, yeah, you're right. Oh. <laughs> Hello, I'm Anthony Nose. I don't think it's... No, no, that's not how you say it. I just said it like an idiot. <laughs> Welcome to my world. <laughs> oh, dear. All right, back to you, Sam. You, you only have numbers that you can deal with now. I will now succeed, clearly, as I always have done in these games that we play. Um, I will have number five, please, Ben. Question number five. Who or what owns Silverstone? Um, I'm just trying to think of the, the right anagram thing. The, it's the British Drivers Association thing, club thing. <laughs> That's a good thing. I forget. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, I'll give you it, yeah. Uh, the British <laughs> <laughs> Racing Drivers Club. BRDC. That's the one. I was thinking it was like BDC. B, uh, that's what I meant. Uh, uh, but you said I'll, I'll, the BDA. It was the British Drivers Association, but well, that's close enough. They'll do. I ah. think we'll, we'll shut you up in a minute, Mr. Reed. There, there were some right words in there somewhere, uh, which means the score is now four points to two. 
Let me go back to Harry. Um, number six. Number six. After Max Verstappen, who had the most podiums in 2023? Ooh. Well, given we've not done this yet, and I feel like it's the point of the game, show me the options, Ben. Nice one, Harry. Way! <laughs> um, the options are A, Sergio Perez, B, Lewis Hamilton, or C, Charles Leclerc. Oh. Um, Sergio Perez. It is Sergio Perez. Uh, Perez had nine podiums last season. Both of the other drivers had six, uh, which means Harry gets one point because he did say those four magic words, show me the options, to make this 5-2. Back to you, Sam. Uh, Show me the options. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Don't which number. (laughs) Is that a point? I said it. Um, (laughs) Yeah, all you got to do is say the words. You don't actually have to do anything else. (laughs) <laughs> I love number three. Three. Uh, who won the first two races of the 2018 Formula One season? Um, was it Valtteri Bottas? was not Valtteri Bottas. Um, oh, well. He was actually one of the three options I would have given you, if that's any consolation, um, because it you've was. gone for him for one point instead. Um, but Sebastian Vettel was the correct answer. Ah, Sebby Vettel, you've let me down. Fake Ferrari oh, fan Sebastian. over there. Come on. Hey, I'm, I'm a Ferrari fan of the earlier Take your cap eras. off. This <laughs> isn't anything to do with him. <laughs> this is for Rubens. Our- <laughs> Starts crying. It was famously sponsored uh, by Decra. It's actually got a like a signature literally on the helm of my hat. <laughs> Good. One or four, Harry. Uh, number one, please. Mark Webber took a surprise fifth place on debut at the Australian Grand Prix in 2002. Which team was he racing for? Minardi. He was racing for Minardi. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and it's good to see as well that the Minardi name is back on the F1 grid this year. That, that is great news. Which means, Sam, what number do you want? What have I got left? I've forgotten. You can have four or four. Ooh. Show me the options. Well, I've got the four, please, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, who was the last driver from the United States to win a Grand Prix? Well, in the spirit of the game, show me the options! <laughs> uh, the options are Dan Gurney, Mario Andretti, and Eddie Cheever. Um... Oh, blimey, on a, on a stick. I'm going to go with Eddie Cheever. Eddie Cheever never won a race, I'm afraid. More recent Eddie than Andretti, but didn't off. win. <laughs> uh, Mario Andretti was the correct answer. It's uh, a good day for games. Eddie Cheese, so, you uh, rubbish. <laughs> I'm guessing, Sam, you probably don't want that one to return ever again. 
I actually like it for the camaraderie of showing me the options. I think I'm going to do more of those in future. There's a jingle in there somewhere. Yeah, there's definitely a jingle in there. Come on. There's definitely a jingle in there. Yeah, we could maybe, Harry, I reckon we can maybe do a, um, uh, like a Inspector Gadget style theme or something there with that. Nice. All right, we'll work on that. Yeah. Uh, and so ends possibly, not for you listening, but for us, the longest podcast in all of <laughs> F1 history. <laughs> Sam, would you oh, mind dear. getting us out of here once and for all? Oh, folks, you don't realise the absolute marathon we've dragged ourselves through to um, to get to the end here, but we've made it. And thank you if you did also make it to the end. Um, please go and check out our Patreon. The link's in the description. I promise you the content on there is far more put together uh, and well-organised than what this show has been. You get loads of benefits depending on the tier that you're on, like two extra episodes every month. Everything on there is ad-free regardless of the tier that you're in. You get early access to events that we're going to be running. You'll get access to our new history series that we're planning and our power ranking episodes that we're going to be doing after the races and other such brilliant perks as well. So, you know, give it a look. It really helps the show to continue to grow and prosper if you if you go over there and, and just help us out. Um, some of the tiers are like the cost of a cup of coffee over a, a month. So it, it massively helps. Discord's in the link in the description. Follow us on social media, Late Breaking F1 everywhere. And if you didn't know already, you can watch this in visual format with your eyes on YouTube, which 10K by Silverstone X year inserted here. We're coming for you, baby. Uh, other than that, absolute success. Well done, Harry. He's absolutely broken something in the background. Um, <laughs> Nothing to see here. In the meantime, I've been Samuel Sage. I've been Ben Hawking. And I've been Harry Eid. And remember, keep breaking late. Bloody hell. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.